Well, good afternoon and welcome to Round the Table with Chris Concern. It's great to uh, be with you today. Today we're discussing a very difficult question. Do women have services? Uh, astonishing, really, to be asking questions like that. But there are more important, more important questions relating to that. What is a woman, etc.? And what can we say? What should we say? And how should Christians respond um, to all this confusion in society? Well, today I'm joined by Karis Mosley, um, who is a policy researcher for Christian Concern. Nice to okay. see you, Karis. Um, and also by Thea Muir, who is coming um, and works with someone she's married to called Dominic Muir, who we know as a street preacher. And uh, Thea, do you want to introduce yourself as well and what you do? Yes, I'm Thea, married to Dom. We've got two small children and another one on the way. And together we run... Say again? Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're in the fire at the moment. It's all go, but it's glorious. And we run a business and ministry called I'm So Many Things. Right. That is all about true identity. Who does God say we are? It came out of a breaking and remaking that God did in my life in the whole area of identity, coming out of eating disorders and saying, God, who am I if I'm not my body image? And Mm. he began to reveal to me truths all through the Bible of who God says we are. Mm. So that is what we are putting our hands to, equipping the church and beyond with truth about who God says they are so they can walk in true identity. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we love your ministry and also your husband's amazing preaching ministry as well. Um, And what a partnership you've got there Mm. um, doing that. So um, what is your reaction then? I'm going to start with you, Thea, to Keir Starmer saying that we can't say that women have cervixes. What what is your reaction to that? I think it's totally ridiculous. Absurd, bizarre, wonky. Dom and I have talked about it a bit, like the whole story of the emperor's, the emperor, the emperor's new clothes. Yeah. When no one dared tell the emperor that he was walking around naked, everyone was sort of like, "Am I the only one seeing this?" Because no one's saying anything. Maybe this is normal. Maybe I'm the weird one. It. We just got to call a spade a spade. Only women have services, and. It's um, it's biological, it's beautiful. As I said, I'm pregnant, so it's all very sort of relevant. And yeah, um, yeah I think it's absurd. And um, Karis, what, is, what, is, what does Keir Starmer actually mean when he says this, a woman, on the one hand he says woman, on the other hand you can't say they have cervix. What does he think a woman is then? Well, of course... Th- it's not so much about that, is that he wants to, def- you know, he is conscious of the culture war, not just within Labour, but within all the parties about women's rights and transgender rights. And of course, the journalists are after him quite understandably, because they're already after Ed Davey, the Liberal leader, previous week about the phrase adult human female. Woman means adult human female. And yeah. Ed Davey was, was kind of, when he was asked, what's wrong with saying that? Because he was criticising it. He was turning to talk about trans issues rather than speaking about who is a woman. So it's this avoidance that's going on. Um, it's it's about um, this idea of a clash of rights and a recognition. And also, <clears throat> I think what's going on is that Kirsama doesn't want to decide between rights and and, um, and dignity based on facts and biological reality yeah. and based on self-expression and self-definition. So, 
So what's I'm gonna get a I'm gonna try again now, Thea. What what does Keir Starmer mean by woman? Because it's not biological for him, right? What's he mean? Talking about how people define themselves, what they're you know the gender they think they're choosing, and as I said, the wonkiness of thinking it's not as simple as who God made us to be, male and female. He created them. But in man's wisdom, yes. we've gone down some wonky paths thinking that we can define that stuff. I think to, I agree entirely with the, you. You really put your finger on it. I think to get to the, the more uh, recent sort of political arena, Keir Starmer is the head of the Labour Party. It's Labour that brought in the Gender Recognition Act that ushered right. all of this in, in our laws and policies. And Christians are very concerned and opposed to that at the time. Um, and of course, by bringing this word gender, is saying that you can, that doctors can construct who is a woman um, and who isn't. And so if you're female... Well, woman, it actually, Karis, that, that people can themselves decide yes, who they yes, are. Yes, but and the doctors help them. Doctors. I mean, the doctors on. help them. Those who want to... So, for example, two things. One, that you're kind of a man who goes to the doctors and, and asks certain surgeons to, you know, construct certain body parts artificially or remove certain ones so that he looks like a woman yeah and does very best to do that and and similarly a woman a female you know who doesn't want to be socially a woman doesn't want to be seen to be a woman or treated as one but wants to be a man can go and have um, certain types of surgery and treatment and will now be known as a man or a trans man and yeah. so there's this confusion that's arisen due to the gender recognition act and of course, it's unsurprising the the leader of the Labour Party is caught in this. Right, right. So, but what does this mean, um, Thea, for what we can say and can't say? Because what struck me about Keir Starmer's statement was he said you you can't say you shouldn't say that a woman has a cervix. And then, of course, I just want to link this in because there's a Labour MP, isn't there, who was told by the police it's too dangerous for you to go to the Labour Party conference because she has said that women do have services, right? So, you know, what, I mean, this is really dangerous, isn't it? If, if you can't say certain things because there are death threats around. It's so dangerous and we don't realise and people think that they're being tolerant and kind, but there's nothing tolerant about it. It's just opening the gateways to control and tyranny and confusion and it all has knock-on effects. You, if you can't say that, you also can't say Jesus is Lord and he's the only way and he rose from the dead and sin is sin. And that, I think, is what we've seen happening slowly but surely, this control of hate speech, mm. trying to protect mm. everyone's feelings, trying not to offend anybody, but actually just encouraging chaos and encouraging everyone to be very feelings-based rather than truth-based. Mm. And it's not actually helping anyone. Mm, mm, mm. And if you're watching and you've got questions or comments about this, do put them up on Facebook or YouTube, because um, you know, we'd love to discuss them as well. Um, but Karis, what do you have further comments on the whole speech issue? You, you know, this is astonishing, isn't it? We can't say a biological fact about women. Right. He's you know, the, the leader of the, the main opposition party in the country yeah. is saying you shouldn't say 
basic biological facts. Yeah, and if you don't have an opposition, you don't have democracy, and then you don't have freedom of speech to be able to debate all kinds of policies that go through Parliament and, and the other legislatures. Um, and it sends a message to people in all kinds of occupations and professions working with vulnerable people. I mean, we know that social workers get disciplined. Um, you know, we know that teachers and get disciplined, that parents are losing their rights to decide what's right treatment for their children on this very issue, uh, on whether you're allowed to say the truth and stick to it and say, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say um, that you can actually change your sex. Uh, I'm not going to say that men do have, you know, that there are some men who have a cervix who are really women who want to be known as men. And so, yes, it's a very, very major speech issue. It's not a little issue of just about few words. And and I'm, I really applaud the journalists who brought this up. They're doing what journalists should. And often journalists have not done that. They've played along. So, and yeah. the, to my knowledge, these journalists aren't practicing Christians. And it's a free speech issue that many non-Christian people and people of no particular faith in our society are concerned about, which is a good thing. And so we as Christians need to engage with that and listen to their concerns. Yeah. So, um, and do you, what do you think that reaction has been like, you know, how, how, I mean, so Thea, you said, you know, your, your, your reaction, how do you feel women generally have reacted and the society in general to this whole episode this week? Is that, that for me, is that for me or Karen? Yes, go on. Um, I don't know how everyone's reacted. To be honest, I stay away from the news as much as possible. I try and focus on God's word rather than the swirl because we've got limited time with little ones, as I say, and just I need to be rooted in the truth. What's happening now is nothing new. It says in the Bible that good will be called evil and evil will be called good. True, yeah. We're in these times mm. that the Bible has spoken about very clearly. And it, what's so difficult is that it happens slowly. And mm. it's easy to look back at Nazi Germany and go, how did they do that? How did they let Hitler in? Mm. But there would have been good Christians trying to do the right thing within that, thinking he was rebuilding Germany and thinking they had to stand with him. And we're in a similar situation where many Christians are confused because they're trying to be good citizens. They're trying to be the kindest people around. They're trying to be the nicest people around. They're trying to be the most loving. 1 Corinthians 13 said that love is also loving the truth, hating injustice and being lovers of truth. And sometimes truth hurts. Truth often offends before it sets free. Of course, it has to be spoken in love. Otherwise, we're a clanging symbol. But God is truth. Jesus is truth. He's the way, the truth, the life. And so that is that is where our freedom is, is taking his word as our plumb line rather than the changing tides of society or what people are feeling or how people are reacting or how long, how loud the, the dogs are the dogs are barking and how intimidating it can feel to stand in truth that's why now more than ever we do need to be standing strong in god's word knowing what it is knowing who we are in him yeah. knowing what our portion is as christians yeah. taking a leaf also out of the book of the persecuted church where when they sign up to be christians they realize that to live is christ but yeah. to die is gain you know, there's an interesting comment here from in. melissa from melissa jane cherry many friends who have got who have not got faith 
feel the world has gone mad and they say the church needs to show mm. a lead so this is non-christians saying hey you know surely the church should be able to speak the truth here do you do you think the church is doing that i think some areas you know and some people and some bold and brave people i'm blessed to be married to a man who speaks the truth he's very very brave mm. so yeah. i hear a lot of truth spoken but I also have spoken to many friends who are in mainstream churches who are saying, why is no one saying this from the pulpit? Why do we avoid the big issues? Mm. So I think there is a lot of avoidance. I think there's fear. I think pastors are having to lead in unprecedented times and where maybe a lot of pastors were reared to lead in more normal circumstances they're finding themselves in uncharted waters and haven't mm. faced some of those questions themselves around where is my identity what do i do when mm. people hate me what do i do when my congregation even challenges me and riles against me what do i do when the local um, parish or even local bishop might challenge me you know i think all of those things are being shaken for a lot of people, who are we going to bow to? Are we going to bow ultimately to the Lord? Or is it fear of man and other people's approval? So, yes, there are some people speaking up on this stuff. And then there's also a lot of silence. And mm. I think many pastors and church leaders have also been caught unaware. It's the whole boiling frog syndrome. This thing has, has crept up slowly but surely. And without that real edge, vision understanding of the word. Mm. Karis, what's your perspective on how the church is responding to this? Um, I would agree. Uh, the picture that Theo gave us is very much the one I see when you look on the ground, that some people are standing and decide they want to and need to teach about this uh, as a first principle about creation. But many, even if they see that, are afraid or they've not seen the issues in their backyards and they think, oh, it won't come here. It can't happen here. And that's just mentally. It's everywhere in society and culture, especially in Britain, more than other Western countries, actually, apart from the mm. USA. Um, and people need to stop, you know, coming up to us and say, oh, I like what you wrote last week. And it's like, well, I want them to apply it in their church. We're trying to support churches. Mm. Um uh, and uh, and sort of, oh, I'm the only person in my church. Well, you don't have to be. You can broach it. But, of course, you've got to count the cost. And I think we want to stand, we need to stand with the people who count the cost of being, you know, being shouted at for saying simple things like only women can have babies or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, because this is affecting all spheres like education and social work towards children and the vulnerable. And it's affecting ministry and it will affect street preaching, I'm sure. Um you know, and to think long term. I think also there's parts of the church that are blatantly heretical. Behind me in my bookcase, I've got lots of books on theology and other things in church history. And in the early church, they had something similar. So in Rome in the second or third century, there were people saying that, um, you know, the body was a prison and we, we you know, and the, and the creation was a prison. Creation was created by a bad God and there was more than one God. And that the role of what they saw as Christianity was to um, get hold of this secret knowledge and to escape the body through various rituals. Um, and so when you think that creation and the body are bad things and that your mind and whatever is in it is more important mm. and, and better morally, that's not dissimilar to what's going on here, which is that people actually believe they were born in the wrong body. They've been told that by activists. They believe it that some of the people in the gender clinics spread this untruth. 
and they resent their body, which is actually perfectly healthy. Um, and, and that may be because they were abused or neglected uh, growing up or bullied or been influenced by porn. Also, there are all sorts of empirical human reasons for why people end up like this. And the church has been here before in a different way. And it can and needs and has a duty to speak. Um, but obviously, I think I think that our pastors, they've had good you know, training in history of theology. They know this, actually. They just don't like admitting it because it is in the first, second, third, fourth century. It is the faithful Christians who taught the truth about creation. They were persecuted under the Roman Empire. These heretics who taught that the, the body is a prison and so on, they were not being persecuted by the Romans. They believed in staying quiet. And so, you know, the early Christians counted the cost. Mm. That's, the, that's the contrast in reality. Mm. And I think that people know that there's a high price to pay when they see people, not just our cases, but others as well, non-Christians, losing their jobs or being bullied at work for trying to do what's right and good and to protect people, uh, you know, the vulnerable. How, um, but I want to ask you as well, Karis, so, you know, it's very interesting to me because Stonewall has had a big sort of backlash recently because of promoting transgenderism. And then obviously, you know, Keir Starmer and Labour are going down this line as well. I mean, do you think that they're going to lose votes over this or or, or or what do you think? We had a general election two years ago. And so unfortunately, I, I, it would be nice to say they lost votes and that voters turned out to vote against them. But um, you'd, ha you'd have to make it a campaign issue. It should be, you know, I think in the last general election, it was kind of avoided a little bit. It does come up on, on the well, it's a different leader. People aren't talking it's a different leader who hadn't said such places Dom has now said on this, you know, so and there were different issues then. Um and and here we are now. Stonewall is is losing a lot of support. A lot of people have left their uh, Stonewall champion scheme, including government organizations have left right. it and so on, um, because of the transgender thing. And then now Labour's suddenly, you know, in a very sort of you know, this is like the, the most memorable thing of their whole conference is the whole debate about who is right. Involved. So you're right. I think so. We're at the turning point here. OK, because in the, in, in the middle period of the political electoral, you know, the, the period between two elections. And yes, yeah. the, the Stonewall has lost a lot of support. And because it gives all sorts of workplace training to people, organisations, including political parties and, and has lobbied them and has produced its own manifestos. So I remember... I think it was actually 2017 or 2019. Some of the things that were said in the Labour manifesto, I think it was, looked exactly like Stonewall. When you're going around and comparing the parties, they've been lifted word for word with punctuation. And so that hopefully is going to be challenged. And people have to, to have, people have to issue that challenge to the parties and to say, you know, elections might feel far away and you think you can get away with it. But a lot has happened since 2019. Which and what has happened, the important thing is what you said, that Stonewall has been hit and, and lost membership from big organisations yeah. like the Equality and Human Rights Commission. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Thea, how would you, in, in practical terms, you know, someone comes to your church and they're obviously transgender um, or cross-dressing or something like that. How, how would you respond to someone like that in practical terms? practical terms welcome them in chat to them offer them a cup of tea sit them down like i would anybody else mm -hmm. it's just another manifestation of internal brokenness and confusion mm. the, the same if i saw someone come in who was hugely hugely obese as someone who struggled with eating disorders myself i might 
see that as a manifestation of, oh, you've got pain going on inside for which you're using food as a medication. Mm. So my heart is in compassion. It's just a very outward expression of internal chaos, which all of us have got going on to a certain extent. You know, we are in a world where we're searching, who am I? And where's my security? And where mm. do I find peace? Where do I find belonging? All very normal questions to be asking but the answer is just not in changing your gender. It's, um, <laughs> so I would treat them as anybody else who's, who's mm. coming in. And, mm. and would, would your identity course, I mean, tell us a bit more about that course and how it might apply to this whole issue. Mm, so the true identity course is something that Dom and I have just released this summer and right. um, discover who you really are. It's a 12 week course that helps people dive deeper in discovering core identity build strength in your core identity it goes through 12 key declarations around which you know to build godly identity i'm outrageously loved i'm god's very good idea i'm god's masterpiece i'm a new creation i'm not alone i'm righteous in christ free from me free from shame i'm an overcomer and it goes on i'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind so we take these 12 chapters we teach around the subject and then there are questions and prompts at the end. There's a pre-recorded video for each chapter and it's an amazing resource for small groups to go through, churches to go through, or people to go through individually. But I think how this course ministers to this situation is it takes the eyes off male or female being the most important question. It's who has God made me to be? You know, male and female isn't in, in, in question. He's made us be so much more than that. As I said, my identity for many years was based on what I looked like, how skinny I was, whether I felt attractive enough, what people thought of me, my reputation. And it was, it was very, um, it was sinking sand. Whereas we're told to build our, build our house on the rock rather than the sand. And the rock is God's word. Who does mm. he say we are as children of God? Mm. And there are some declarations that apply to people even before they believe. I'm mm. fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm God's masterpiece. I'm mm. God's very good idea. He thought me up. Mm. And then there are a bunch of declarations that come to life when we receive Jesus as Savior. I'm mm. a new creation. I'm righteous in Christ. I'm an overcomer. I'm a co-heir with Christ. So the true identity course takes people deeper into this, this whole realm of our identity in Christ that we get to access as we give our lives to Jesus. And, you know, the truth displaces the lies as we introduce people to this vast world of who they are in Christ. Some of the peripheral arguments around gender cease to be so strong. I think people are looking for definition they're looking for belonging and because of so much noise in the media in the world around the gender issue yeah. a lot of people are placing so much hope on changing their gender to fix the inner discomfort That's but right. actually with this true identity course we're going far deeper to the root of for example i am outrageously loved you know that is such a core declaration yeah. we understand this is a course meant for christians like discipleship for christians is it presumably it's primarily for Christians. Yeah, it's yeah. for for those in the church wanting to go deeper. But because of the way that it is touching key 
issues and it's it is accessible to people who are searching and at the end there's the salvation prayer so for those who are wanting to be scooped in or those who want to go through it with friends who are questioning identity it is accessible on that level but it's primarily for believers wanting to go deeper around this issue yeah yeah that sounds great sounds very helpful Mm -hmm. um karis when we talk about this whole transgender thing everyone always asks about intersex right now what what do you say about this question about ah but you're being discriminated against intersex people or something like this um yeah it's um it doesn't come up in the media. I follow a lot of media, like it, but it it may come up when Christians are thoughtful about you know how we're created and we live in a fallen world. I actually don't like the term intersex because the the traditional medical term is disorders of sexual development. Like some children are born, and there's a malformation of their sexual characteristics, um, and uh, so. It's, for for decades now, some doctors have actually tried to say that it really means that some characteristics look as if they're characteristics of the opposite sex. And of course, the reason they can talk for there being opposite sex is that now through modern medical research, we know that your sex is is determined by your chromosomes, which of course you can't you can't yeah. see inside yeah. the body. Um, and so, in fact, when we talk about people born with any of these disorders of sexual development or intersex conditions, um, the, the person always is either somebody with a Y chromosome, so they're, they're male, biologically, or somebody with only X chromosomes. Okay. Now, notice what I said. I said only Y or no Y, just X, because in some of these disorders, the person has more than one X chromosome. So the norm is that you have, you know, men, male people have X and Y. So one X and one Y. Yeah. And females have two Xs. But in yeah. some, there are some disorders where a person has three Xs. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there are also some people, some men with an extra Y chromosome. Yeah. So they're, they're sort of disorders at, at that genetic level. And they're very, very rare. Um, and I, I would say that it's very hard to find sort of comprehensive information about this when you look around even with um the the health service i mean the the government equalities office um, looked into this not long ago and they had another term it was something like variations of sex characteristics something like that and they were consulting on rights based on uh, on you know what we call intersex and it was I couldn't see very much scientific information coming with, with that inquiry. And I don't think I've ever seen the, the response. It was treated as sensitive. But I you're asking I'm mentioning this because you asked about rights. I was a bit concerned it wasn't the NHS or the Department of Health asking about this. Um, but the Government Equalities Office, which is really obsessed with promoting all things transgender. <laughs> so right. we have to be really very careful with that. Um there have been some cases of people going for surgery. I mean, we know that, but I mean, we know it's for children as well. So, and, and actually trying to to change. But the, but can I just say one thing at the heart of the issue here with some of these conditions? Um, this goes back decades that some pediatricians have been telling parents that it's up to them to choose which gender to raise the child in. Now, to me, I'm not a doctor, but we all have, you know, basic biology at school. We all have to learn about chromosomes. If you have a Y, you're male. And if you don't, you're female. Then that should be the norm for how I would think for doctors to tell children how to 
are they going to bring up their children? So that's where there's a confusion being created, I'm afraid, by parts of the medical profession there. And, and they, I really wish it's not going to be me as a policy researcher who's going to help provide the solution, but I wish doctors would step up to the plate on this. Mm, mm. It's not an issue about so much about rights, but it's about you know conforming to how how we are biologically and, and helping people who, who will have certain problems in life, you know, medical problems. Right. right. What about because um, part of this is all about gender stereotypes, isn't mm -hmm. it? I mean, um, Thea, what's you know, do you think we have a problem with gender stereotypes, or how does this relate into this whole thing? Um, I don't think we have too much of a problem. I think it's become a problem because everyone's so terrified of saying the wrong thing and categorising girls and boys. We have got a son and a daughter. We did not raise him to be obsessed with boys' toys, but he is totally obsessed. Cars, tractors, wheels, vehicles. That's what he'd gravitate towards in a playgroup when there's everything. In we walked that same playgroup with my daughter this morning. She picks up the pram and the dolly. We have not, in, you know, they were in the same room with all the same toys to choose from. So in my experience, a lot of the gender stereotypes are there because they are true. And also there is a beautiful, beautiful difference between men and women and girls and boys that's God given. It's God's order and it's beautiful. I love being married. I love being a woman in my marriage and I love that I have a man as a husband. I love that we have different roles. There's a safety, there's a peace in that, there's a rhythm and we're able to give different things. And I think many people have fought this because there's been abuse, because there's been, because there's fear. People say, you know, you can't put me in that box. You can't put me in that box, but it doesn't need to be a box that is limiting you know within within parameters there's freedom mm, mm. and if, if there were no stereotypes presumably no one would want to change gender anyway because wanting to change gender presupposes that there are stereotypes does it not mm. i guess that's part of it you know if everyone wore the same clothes anyway then changing from girls clothes to boys clothes wouldn't be as obvious you could think I am. I'm not. I'm, I don't. I'm not convinced by the view that stereotypes are simply what cause people to want to change, um, because that is stereotypes are everywhere, and people can always play around with them. Uh, you know, if they can, adults who are you know not obsessed can feel free to. You know, nobody. F many people don't fully fit into the stereotype, but only partly, and it's not something that causes massive anxiety. I think when you actually dig into the biographies of people who've undergone these gender changing surgeries and attempt to live as the opposite gender, um, there's something else going on. So for example, nobody today or very few people in the press today will admit that some parents didn't want a girl or a boy and secretly started to treat the child after he or she was born as a member of the opposite sex. And that has a psychological effect. Mm. So so that that is one of the roots. And um, Obviously, the parents are doing what most parents are doing. They would treat them according to the norm of male or female. It's just that they're being responsible. So, so, but it's it's not simply a child or an adult looking around and thinking, "I don't fit into the stereotypes at all." It's um, it's it's actually not being not having been respected as a member of your biological sex and having other adults or peers 
treats you as if really there was no value and you'd be better off as a girl instead of a boy or whatever. And we need to be, however unpopular and old-fashioned that psychological theory is, it has a lot of truth in individual people's lives. We need to be uh, not shying away from that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that goes to, you're talking about God and how God has made us. It goes with being pro-life as part of being Christian, which is that what we're meant to do is accept every child as being conceived and born as they are. And I think one one way that Christians can address this is we need to give thanks when a girl or a boy is born, that God has given that family a girl or a boy Mm. and and pray for that child. And we forget Mm. how we we can do really simple things like that. Yeah, the Bible says that children are a heritage and a reward, a gift from God. And even mm. that's become warped, where we're so capable of um, planning our families. I'm going to do my career, and then when it suits me, I'm going to have one child, then I'm going to have two children, then I'm done. Where is the God? Your will be done. My body is not my own. My life is not my own. Have your way. That posture of surrender is where we're meant to be as believers. Yet again, the world is so contrary to that, having so much control and then abortions and gender abortions happening. You know, it's it's, it's gone wild where, where we think we can play God rather than deferring to his, his wisdom and his order. Fantastic. Well, listen, this debate is going to go on and on. Um, um, it's uh, remarkable how it's been stirred up this week. Um, at Labour Party conference and uh, in incredible ways. And I think the nation is kind of shocked, really, that mm-hmm. that when we don't know what a woman is anymore. We don't know the differences between man and woman, and we, or we can't say them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at risk of death threats, even in the case of the MP there um, as well. So we need to keep talking about this, um, praying about it, be as welcome to everybody as Thea was saying. I love your passion for that, Thea. It was great. Um, but also unafraid to speak the truth mm. um, because it is the truth that will set people free. Mm. Um, listen, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Thea in particular and Karis as well. And those of you watching as well, I hope you found that helpful and interesting. There's so much more we could carry on. Um, we will look forward to seeing you again, same time next week. Do uh, share this video, like it. Um, if you did like it and uh, and get the word out about these uh, discussions and we'll look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you very much. <laughs>